The following is a podcast of the Fairchild Air Force Base Protestant Chapel Service. The opinions are the speaker's own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the United States government or the United States Air Force. Well, good morning, everyone. This is the uh, first time that I've preached like this, so I sort of feel like I'm preaching, quote-unquote, to my phone. It's a little strange, but uh, nevertheless, I'm going to give you uh, the best that I can, uh, the same amount of effort that I would into a message as if you were sitting right in front of me. Uh, So I think if we're all completely honest right now, we would probably say that the uh, past couple weeks have been pretty challenging, right? I mean, our routines are all but gone. Uh, You may have had to learn uh, some new patience for your kids, or your spouse, for that matter. Uh, Maybe you've had friends or loved ones affected by this virus. Maybe you've been working more hours than normal because of this thing. Uh, Regardless of where you are on that list, the reality is that this season of life may feel a little bit like a desert. And uh, when it comes especially to your spiritual life, maybe you haven't been able to stay plugged in uh, spiritually as much as you have in the past. So this morning, I feel like it's important for us to talk about this and uh, to really dive into a passage of Scripture that I think will give us some encouragement. So I want to speak specifically uh, about the kind of faith that doesn't falter in a desert. So uh, we're going to be in the book of Numbers this morning. I hope you're able to, to kind of follow along with the outline that I've provided you uh, in that Google Doc there so we can kind of all be on the same page as we work through this text together. And we're going to start off by looking at uh, a group of people. So uh, throughout this, this message this morning, we're going to look at really two main groups of people. Uh, but the first group of people that I want us to focus on is the people who live by a past faith. Okay, They rely totally on events that took place in the past. And to really see what these people look like, we're going to look at the people of Israel. Okay, um, So there's, there's two specific things about these kind of people. The first thing that we need to, to recognize about them is that they once saw God work. Okay, they live by a past faith, and they once saw God work. So to help illustrate this, we're going to be in the book of Exodus, uh, specifically Exodus chapter 14, verse 30 through 31. And I want you to, uh, to follow along with me there. Uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, or if you're looking at that outline, I'm reading from the English Standard Version of Scripture. It reads, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. So, these words are describing a people who saw God work in some pretty amazing ways. All right. Uh, if you go back and you look at the events that led up to this moment, uh, what we just read is, is after Israel had crossed the Red Sea and God had caused the sea to, to collapse onto uh, Pharaoh and his army. And, and those are the words that describe what they saw. But if you go back and you even look at everything else that led up to that point, Israel at one point was enslaved in Egypt. Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world. And God had literally brought the entire nation to its knees. He inflicted 10 very devastating plagues on them. Uh, He basically turned their entire water supply to blood. He brought millions of frogs into the land. He uh, billions of gnats and flies, and he killed their livestock. He brought boils on the people, hail, locusts, um, and then he, he took away the sun, and he eventually 
killed the, the firstborn of everyone in Egypt who did not put blood over their doorposts. So each time he, one of these things happened, he not only conquered a god in the Egyptian pantheon, which is a really important part of this, he also proved that he was more powerful than any god the Egyptians worshipped. That was his intent, is to help Egypt understand that he was the true god and that uh, help Israel to, to see that all of these gods in the Egyptian pantheon were, were false. So eventually, Pharaoh lets these these people leave only to, to change his mind and pursue them to the Red Sea. And God parts the waters so that they can cross, but God brings the waters back down onto Egypt uh, and, and Pharaoh's army. So Israel is here at this moment where they see this amazing thing happen where God literally delivers them over and over again. But they get out of, away from the Red Sea, and it's a couple days, and they start complaining. They start crying out and, and complaining that they're thirsty and that they're hungry. So what does God do? He provides food. He provides water continuously. Uh, he, he even brings water from a rock. He, he causes food to just materialize on the ground so that they can collect it. He brings quail in when they get tired of that. Uh, eventually, you know, Israel hears the voice of God himself at the foot of Mount Sinai. So I would say that when it comes to seeing God literally do miracles in everyday lives, Israel witnessed more than any other group of people in the history of the world. These people saw firsthand the things that, that God could do that nobody else has ever seen, ever. Uh, it, it was amazing events that that took place over and over and over again for these people to recognize that this God that they were following was real, cared about them, and was working in their lives. So they saw God work, all right? Uh, and, and if we take that understanding and we relate it to us, I think many of us have seen God work, right? Uh, you've been a part of some awesome moments where you've witnessed the power of His love. You've felt the power of His grace. You've heard stories that has changed lives. And the fact, I think many people listening to this right now can relate to Israel. If we sat down and we talked about your past experiences, you would be able to talk about the ways you've seen God work in your life. And you could probably pinpoint two or three specific instances uh, that stick out in your mind more than any other. So I want us all to relate to Israel in some way right now where we can say, yeah, we've seen God work. We know that he's real. We know that he's evident in my life or he was at some point. So that brings us to the second principle about these kind of people who live by a past faith. Okay, They once saw God work, but the second principle is that their faith fell apart when things got hard. So let's move forward a little bit, and we're going to spend some the remainder of our time in the book of Numbers, uh, spe specifically starting in chapter 13, and giving you some context here. Moses has sent out uh, spies into Canaan. He's told them to, to look at the land, to spy it out, and to, to bring back a report uh, on, on what to expect when they move into the promised land that God is going to give them. So starting in chapter 13, verse 25, here is that report. We're going to read through 14.4. It says, At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron, to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land which you sent to us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, 
The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we were able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, What would we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to just go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So friends, keep in mind, these are the people who just saw the most powerful man in the world brought to his knees. Pharaoh was arguably the world leader at the time. And he was crushed by the God of Israel. And the second that they see a next strong group of people, this people automatically assumes that they're going to to fall by the wayside and they forget everything that they had just witnessed. So let's be logical about this. Uh, If you know me, you you know that I like logic. Um, but, But imagine, here you are enslaved by Egypt. God works 10 miracles to bring you out of enslavement. Uh, He he divides a sea, he conveniently um, kills the people who are coming after you, gives you water from a rock, causes bread to form on the ground, all of these things, uh, and and he shows you his power over and over again. But the second you encounter a few cities with some tall soldiers, you freak out, and you want to go back to the people who whipped you every day. For me, that's hard to comprehend. I mean, how that makes sense is beyond me. But that's what happened. This entire group of people faced a challenge and immediately assumed that God had forgotten them, or worse, that he brought them just this far to watch them die at the hands of their enemies. So if you ever wanted to find a group of people who you could laugh at in the Bible, this is them, right? I mean, it just seems comical that that these people would just fall apart and assume, oh my goodness, this God who just did all of these amazing things is now going to let us die. Students, parents, single people, anyone who can hear my voice understand this. We do the same thing all the time. We see God work. We see the evidence of his power. We know in our hearts that he's there, that he's sovereign, but introduce a little thing called life. Maybe introduce a pandemic to the world that is something that we've never seen before, and we cry out, take me back to Egypt. My God has forgotten me. We may laugh at Israel here, but we need to realize that we're guilty of the same sin oftentimes in our walk. And church, I promise you that what you believe 
in life will be put to the test. What you believe about God will be put to the test. There will be times where you question things in your spiritual life. For me, I grew up in a, in a very conservative home. I was at church three to four times a week. Um, I was at church pretty much every event imaginable I was there. And uh, during the time that I was growing up through high school, I saw God do some, some pretty amazing things in my life. Uh, I knew what I believed was, was real, and I knew that it was true. But then I came to college, and uh, I went to college, and I was surrounded by a world that rejected God. Uh, almost every day, you know, I, I had some kind of reminder that my belief system was not prevalent in the society that I was living in. Um, and I had a lot of people pushing in from different sides. I had professors that had really good arguments to take down what I thought that I knew. Uh, they punched holes in things, and, and they tried to uh, really undermine the authority that I was believing in. So I was pretty distraught. And in fact, there was, there was one time I left one of my classes, and I went back uh, to my room, and I just laid on the floor, and I just I cried because I wasn't sure what I believed anymore. Uh, looking back at that time, I knew that that time was, I know now that that time was good for me. Uh, because it really forced me to to know what I believed and why I believed it. I had to own my faith, right? I had to face the reality that um, I had really just been living by my parents' faith. I had really just sort of been uh, assuming that all of these things were true without really looking for evidence on my own and really taking that faith and internalizing it and trusting God regardless of whether or not I had uh, a solid support system around me. So normally, a lot of people uh, will, will encounter things like this all the time throughout their life. They'll face a crossroads where they turn and they walk away from God. A lot of times, it's a tragedy, right? Something happens that challenges their view of God, and they, they can't keep that view with the reality of what they're going through. They think there's no way that a loving God would allow something like this. That's kind of another sermon in of itself. But my point here is that Israel changed their heart. Um, and, and that view is common today. This story is repeated every day for people all over the world. They walk away from God because something challenged them in the desert. Uh, one author said that no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard We've worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable, with friends and family, and successful with our career. Something will inevitably run it. Now, my point isn't to, to cast gloom and doom on us. I'm just trying to help us understand that we live in a broken world. We live in a world that, that uh, sometimes things don't go right. Sometimes things don't make sense. And sometimes it challenges this view uh, that, that we can have. And it's a false view that everything's just always going to work out perfectly. And there's not going to be any hurt. There's not going to be any pain. There's not going to be any suffering. The reality is, folks, that the deserts of life are real. We're in the middle of one right now. Right? We're seeing uh, death and we're seeing pain and suffering on levels that we haven't really experienced in our lifetime. So let me ask you, what does your faith look like? Will you only dwell on, on that one time that you saw God you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago at a camp and, and that's the only evidence for His grace? 
This story also has some people that I want to spend the rest of the time focusing on. And this next group of people is the people still pursuing God. And, and we're going to break this group of people down as well. And the first principle about these people is that their faith did not depend on circumstances. Okay, Their faith did not depend on circumstances. So look specifically with me at, at Numbers chapter 14 again. And let's, let's look at 5 through 10. And let's, let's look at the response of a few of these men who um, stand up and they confront the people of Israel. After Israel says, take us back to Egypt, this is their response, starting in verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. So they hear the, the words of these people that, that you know, are crying, take us back to Egypt, and they cry out to God. And I love what they said in, in verse 9. Why in the world are you afraid of these people? Have you not seen what our God can do? He's with us. I love people like this because you can look at them in, in the worst of circumstances and they never waver in what they believe. They don't forget that their God is still with them in the desert. Now, I honestly wish that I could say I'm always that way, but I'm not. Uh, oftentimes, I am, am quick to forget you know, something uh, that God has taught me. Uh, in, in a good time of life. I'm quick to forget that in a desert, and I'm quick to, to scream, take me back to Egypt, just like many of you are as well. So it reminds me of a, a five-year-old little girl who was watching her mother put some cream on her face one night before bed. Uh, she looked at her mother and she said, Mom, why do you do that? Uh, her mother responds to make me beautiful. So not longer after that, her, her mother begins to remove the cream from her face with a tissue. And the little girl looked at her immediately and she said, what, are you giving up already? I think it's funny because sometimes we do the same thing. You know, we give up so quickly uh, when we uh, commit to something. And, and our, our feeble understanding of God's sovereignty and His providence and, and His timing, really, doesn't always translate into us persevering through the difficult times of life. Um, why do we doubt, you know, his will or his nature? Uh, I think it's true that sometimes it's a lot easier to despair than it is to have hope, right? It's easier to, to cry out, take me back to Egypt than it is to say, no, let's press forward. Let's trust God in this. And, and these men, Joshua and Caleb specifically, they, they looked at the land of Canaan and they didn't see a problem. They didn't see these tall, mighty warriors. All they saw was God. 
Now listen to me. It's much easier to focus on your problems right now than to look to the only one who can help you with them. Um, their faith was not shaken because of something that they looked at and, and saw as, as a daunting task. All they saw was how powerful their God was and how He was going to help them through this next challenge, just like He helped them through the previous ones. So that's the first principle. They, they were still pursuing God and their faith didn't, depend, didn't depend on their circumstances. The second principle about this, this group of people is that they actively pursued God. They, this group of people is a kind of people who's continually pursuing God regularly. Who do these men point to as their source of strength when they faced adversity? Well, who did they do? Who did they point to? They pointed to God. They didn't say, look at us, look at our might, look at our ability to be able to overcome these people. They said, we have a God who is on our side in all of this, and they knew that he would be with them. They didn't even start to, to try to convince the people of Israel that the Canaanites didn't know how to fight, right? They never appear, appealed to their military strength, and they, they certainly didn't even try to give them any kind of, you know, go get them uplifting speech. They just said, this God that brought us out of Egypt is able to take care of us. What does this tell us? It tells us that these men weren't always waiting on God to prove himself, I think that's an important thing to remember. They weren't waiting on God to show them that the Canaanites were going to fall, right? They didn't just sort of sit around and say, okay, God, give us a sign, you know, that, that Canaan is going to just collapse when we start to fight them. They didn't wait for that. They just said, I know what my God can do, and that's all I need to know to face this challenge. So listen to me, listen to me. I want to share two truths about having a, a growing faith in the middle of the desert, okay? And these are in your outline. But remember that past experiences of God's acts are no substitute for a current pursuit of God's presence. Past experiences of God's acts are no substitute for a current pursuit of God's presence. In other words, you can't always just lean on the past. You have to continually be pursuing God's presence, understanding that He's working in your life now. And so many people live their lives looking back on one event where they felt something or they saw something, and they're constantly hoping to find another time where they experience God again. Also, don't, don't miss this. Don't expect to experience the activity of God if you're not pursuing the presence of God. So many people treat God like the cosmic vending machine, right? They just want to see the activity of God. They don't want to dwell in His presence. They don't want to sit in His grace, and they don't want to remember the fact that He loves them and, and, and soak in all of the beauty that He has to offer. So they just pursue the activity of God without pursuing the presence of God. Don't expect that church. Don't expect to see God work in your life if you're not pursuing Him for who He is, not for what He offers. There's a difference. Now, this is where the rubber really starts to meet the road, right? This is where we start to, to, to question where we are in this text or where we are in this message. We've all had times in our lives where we've seen the existence of God. We've seen Him work, but now maybe we're in the desert. Maybe we're at the edge of Canaan. Maybe we're in Canaan. Don't expect what you've experienced in the past to sustain you right now in this kind of environment because it won't. 
you won't survive all of this. You you won't be able to to grow in your in your walk with Christ if all you're doing is depending on what happened 10, 20 years ago or 5 years ago or whatever. You've got to make it a priority to actively pursue him now, spending time with your heavenly Father, sitting in his presence, seeking his face, clinging to him in every situation. I hope that you are are wrestling with these things right now and I hope that you're you're understanding that there is more for us to be doing in this desert time of life than just looking back at what happened at one time before. So, maybe you're in one of these camps. Maybe you are still pursuing God or maybe you're in a camp that, you know, this other group of people that believed that God worked at one time and and you're you're sort of waiting for that to happen again. I want to close with this, okay? Uh, and this is a thought that I want to I want to challenge you with a little bit, but I want you to think about it. A faith that always depends on constant proof is no faith at all. Right? A faith that always depends on constant proof is no faith at all. Now, I'm not saying that we should just blindly believe anything that we hear and, and just check our brains at the door. I'm not saying that. If you know me at all, you know that's not what I would advocate. But what I am help, trying to help us understand is that it's okay to believe in God when you haven't seen all of the evidence. Right? It's okay to put your faith in a God who promises that He will never leave you or forsake you, even when you don't have 100% evidence of that moving forward, right? You can't always just depend on the, the stuff that happened in the past. It's okay to have faith when there is no proof, okay? Because really, faith is believing in something when you don't see it, right? It's it's knowing that something is true even when there isn't 100% evidence. And it's okay to ask the hard questions. It's okay to pursue God in the moments where we're in the desert of life, right? I think that that is a great thing for us. So one of the other things that uh, many of you know about me is that I'm, I'm actually pretty afraid of heights. I don't like heights. It's funny. I'm in the Air Force. I don't like heights. But um, there was a, a time where I was working on a, on a church and we were putting the sign up in the, the front parking lot of the, the church. It was on the, the front of the building and we had a big, huge extension ladder that went uh, 20, 30 feet up in the air. It's probably about 30 feet. We were leaning it up against the side of the building and uh, I'm climbing up this ladder and I'm, I'm at the, the, the ladder part of it, the very top part. And I'm reaching up to, to attach this sign to a bolt that we had on the building. <clears throat> There's like a little eye hook and the ladder shifted, right? Now, here I am, I'm 25, 35 feet up in the air, and all that's below me is pavement. That's it. There's no soft grass or anything like that. And uh, this ladder shifts. So my heart stops, right? I'm already nervous. I'm already pretty terrified at this moment. And uh, it, it stops. And the guy that was down below me, he said, uh, he said, it's good. It's good. You're fine. It's not going anywhere. So at that point, I had two options, right? I could just trust that this guy down below me was right and that this ladder wasn't going to shift anymore. Or I could get down and check it out for myself and make sure. So which one do you think that I did? I got down. 
right? I climbed back down the ladder and I made sure that the ladder was secure. I checked the foundation myself, okay? Why? Because when I got back up at the top of the ladder, I needed to know for myself that I had already checked the foundation and it was solid. It's okay if you ask the hard questions. It's okay for you to dive in to pursuing God right now and seeking His presence because when times get hard, you've checked the foundation and you know that it's solid. You know that it's there. You know that He's not going anywhere because you're not just assuming that you know this, this past experience is going to take care of you and you're not just going to rely on your parents' faith or your pastor's faith or my faith. It's your faith. You've gotten down and you've pursued him in the desert to make sure that when things continue to get hard, you know he's there. I also want to remind you of this this morning. An entire generation of people died in Egypt under the slavery of Pharaoh even after Moses had been born. So God brings this servant into into Egypt and he's preparing to use Moses, right, to deliver his people from Egypt. But an entire generation of people died from the time that Moses was born to the time that God actually delivers Egypt. Why do I say that? Because God had a plan, right? He was working and he was moving, but it didn't line up. The timeline didn't always line up with everybody. That doesn't mean that those people were forgotten. That doesn't mean that God didn't love them and He didn't care for them. He was moving. He was working in His way and in His time. And they never got to see the full big picture. My prayer for you this morning is that you will know that God loves you. That that He has a plan. That He has a purpose for your life. We don't know how all of this is going to turn out. We don't know what we'll be talking about in, in six months or even a year or what our lives will look like. Will we ever go back to normal? I don't know. This is a desert right now with a lot of uncertainty ahead. But I can know this. My God is real. Uh, he has a plan and He has a purpose. And He, he wants you to be pursuing Him right now. Uh, he wants you to be growing closer to Him. He wants you to be checking the foundations of your faith. And He wants you to know that when and if things get harder... That faith is not going to falter because you're currently pursuing Him. You're not living on something that happened in the past. That's my encouragement for you this morning. Uh, I want to pray as we close things out. Father God, again, it's just a, an op- a good opportunity to be able to, to utilize technology, to be able to, uh, to leverage these things to still provide hope, Lord, to, to point people to You to remind them that you are a God uh, who loves them, who has a plan and a purpose for their life, who has not forgotten them in the midst of all of this. And I pray that you would be more real to us, more real to, to the world, Lord, than maybe you've ever been. I pray that somehow there's good that comes from this pandemic, Lord, that people turn their eyes to you, that they pursue you, that they seek you in ways that maybe they never have before. I pray for healing. I pray for protection. I pray for a cure. I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us as your people to shine bright, Lord, in a world uh, that desperately needs to see that light and to taste that salt. Be with us, Lord, and help us to honor you and glorify you in all that we do. And I ask it in your precious name.
Amen. Thank you guys. Have a blessed day.